Amen. Would you agree with me that children are a blessing from the Lord? And this morning we're going to talk about what we do with the children that God give us as a blessing. First of all, I want to open up with some statistics. Uh, normally, I open up the VBS week, and that's next Sunday. Brother Steve's out of town, so we kind of flip-flop. So this is kind of a kickoff to kickoff to VBS, if you will. Normally, the stage is decorated and stuff, but that's okay. But these are some statistics, these are some statistics that I want to read to you, and then uh, we'll open up the text and get started. But this is done by Barna, and uh, this is the responsibility for child spiritual growth. Number one is the parents. And I agree with that. Parents are the number one sole responsibility or child's spiritual maturity. Number two is the church. And I agree with that. The church has a big influence on a child's growth, spiritual. But they have the school as number three. Um, and the only reason I disagree with this is because they have the church community number four. I think those should be flip-flop. Um, but um, I believe the um, church community has a great impact. Uh, on children. And number five is the government and society. And uh, I really don't believe they have much spiritual growth on our children at all. And so I believe they got that right. But here's some other ones, positive and negative. They, did, they, they, they polled and they said parents give us a positive impact in our life. And I agree with that. Parents do give us a positive impact in our life, spiritually speaking. Number two, the church, positive. Number three, Christian community, the positive impact. Number four is the peers. It was a negative impact. Kids can bring other kids down. Peers can lead you astray. Five, school, negative. Number six, the culture and society can be negative impacts on our children. Here's another one. The biggest impact on, at, on children at church. Now, this was, I, I was surprised at this, but the number one is Sunday school. 73% Sunday school is the biggest impact. Now, I know we're not having Sunday school right now, because it's COVID stuff, and, and we're in the process of getting it back. I promise you, it's coming back. But Sunday school is the biggest thing for children to grow. And I believe that. Any, any pastor that you talk to or anybody that's in the ministry will tell you Sunday school is where you get the meat, amen? And then you come in here to the sanctuary and you get your dessert, amen? But Sunday school is where you sit down, you ask questions, and you discuss, and you open, you open up, and you just, you just dig into the Word of God. But number two, the main worship service. The main worship service. When I was a kid, we called it Big Church. I get to go to Big Church today. I get to sit out there with, with my mom and daddy or my grandparents or whoever. I get to go to Big Church today. And people think, well, children don't need to be out here. Well, I disagree with that. Children can hear the Word of God too. And they may not understand everything, but they understand a lot of what the preacher is saying because number two is the main worship service. But number three is this, which I agree with this. This is one of the most evangelical outreaches in the church, and it's VBS. VBS, listen, VBS reaches the church and the unchurched. They reach the, the children, the parents, and the grandparents. We invite these children to church, and man, we feed them, and we play, and all the unchurched kids come, and, and, and they get to be a part of VBS. And then on Friday night, we have commencement night, right? And so mom and daddies and grandparents come in here, and they watch their child walk across this stage to receive a certificate that they attended vacation Bible school. And some of those parents, some of those grandparents would never darken the doors of a church, but oh, that little precious baby of theirs, they want to see them walk, walk across the stage. And what happens when they walk across this stage? The pastor gets up there and he delivers the gospel. And those parents and those grandparents hear the gospel and they too come to the knowledge 
of Jesus Christ and they get saved. Why? Because they came into a church because of VBS. VBS is one of the biggest outreaches there is in churches. But here's another statistic I want to read to you. 2000 or 1997, 81% of the churches have offered VBS. 2012, 68% of the churches have offered VBS. And the reason was because of the lack of volunteers. Sadly but true, many churches are getting away from VBS. And I think it's a shame because that is one of the biggest things that we can reach people. One of the only, thing, only, one of the only reasons I can get up here on stage and act like a complete idiot and get away with it. Amen. <laughs> only thing that happens is everybody takes videos and pictures and puts them on Facebook. Yeah. But we're all acting like kids and we're trying to love them and we're trying to reach them. VBS is a very, very important part of ministry in the church. Here's, some, here's a few other statistics before we get started. This comes from the Ministry to Children. It's a website we use a lot. Two-thirds of Christians, and this was just a, among a poll uh, that they took among uh, some readers of theirs. Two-thirds of Christians come to faith before the age of 18. We have what we call the 4 to 14 rule. You try to reach children before, between the ages of 4 and 14, and after 14, the statistics show that it begins to steadily decrease, and it's harder to reach them for Christ. 43% came to Christ before the age of 12. Less than a quarter of current church believers came to Christ after the age of 21. Now keep in mind, this is just among the group that they polled and, and they, they questioned. Parents were named by 50% of our readers as a help in their coming to Christ. Half of the children who come to Christ are led by their parents. Last one, 24% of our readers listed other family members as a factor in their salvation of coming to Christ. Evangelism must be the primary goal of a kid's ministry. The, the evangelism must be the primary goal of any ministry. Listen, bringing them to Jesus and getting them to save, that is our life mission. Whether it's children, whether it's adults, it does not matter who they are. We're trying to bring them to Jesus and get them saved. Listen, Charles Spurgeon said this, How can we bring children to Jesus Christ to be blessed? We cannot do it in a corporal sense, for Jesus is not here, for he is risen. But we, but we can bring our children in true and real and spiritual sense. We can take them up in the arms of our prayer. I hope many of us, as soon as our children saw the light, if not before, presented them to God with this ancient prayer, that they might sooner die than live as a disgrace to their father's God. That's a difficult prayer. But our passion our desire as a parent should be that our children come to the knowledge of christ and receive him as lord and savior of their life and our text this morning is in mark chapter 10 if you would stand with me as we read god's word starting in verse 13 through 16 jesus had just got done preaching on marriage and divorce the disciples and the pharisees were asking him these questions and he goes straight into this right here and they brought the young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much, much displeased. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them in his arms, put them in his hands, upon them, and put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Father, we love you this morning. God, we ask that you be a part of this service. God, I ask that you would be the hero in the forefront of this story. 
God, you would remove me and God, just speak freely through me. God, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of those that are listening. God, bless them. God, let them receive this message and apply it to their life. God, you are so good. and We're thankful for your word and your truth that we have today. God, may your presence be known. God, may we glorify you because you are worthy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a few things this morning, and then we'll close out and we'll go home. But number one is bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. Now, somehow we've missed the importance of this text and this scripture. Throughout Hebrew scripture, fathers blessed their children. From Noah, blessing Shem and Japheth. Japheth. From Abraham, blessing Isaac. Isaac, blessing Jacob. And Jacob, blessing his sons, which later become the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. It was a custom thing for the children, uh, the fathers, to to bless their children. They would bring them to the priests, or they would bring them to the rabbis, or the fathers themselves would bless their children by praying over them and praying God's favor over them. These types of spiritual blessings were very important to the Jewish culture. These parents and even grandparents wanted to see their children blessed, and they wanted God to show favor upon their children. I would agree with that, and I would say amen to that. Amen? Listen, these parents cared about their children. It's recorded that some of their prayers were this, Let my children be famous in the law, faithful in marriage, and abundant in good works. I would agree with that prayer, that my child would be famous. He would be known for standing by the Word of God and standing faithfully on the Word of God. But listen, it goes on to say this, that he would be faithful in marriage, that your young son or your young daughter would grow up and become a husband and a father and do what God's called them to do and create that family that he instituted in the very Beginning of the Bible, he instituted and ordained a family before the church. Amen. Right off the bat, God instituted a family. We ought to pray that our children grow up and become a part of that family. Listen, and lastly, he said, and be abundant in good works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 tells us this, that let your light so shine before men that they may say, see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We ought to want our children to come up and do have the works of Christ and live for Christ and, and be sold out for Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to desire for our children. And that's what these Jewish people wanted them to do. They wanted them to be blessed and have favor on their life. And it says they brought them. It's an imperfect tense. It means they keep bringing them and bringing them and bringing them. I mean, they're just people bringing their kids, bringing their kids. They're holding the babies. They're, they're walking them by holding their hands. They're just all bringing them to Jesus. The text says that they would touch them, that he would, Jesus would touch them that the fathers and the rabbis did the same things by laying their hand on their children and praying for blessings over their life. Matthew 19 says they wanted Jesus to touch them and pray. But I want you to note something. This was not salvation. This was not salvation. When they brought their children to Jesus, it was not salvation. Okay? Listen, he was not giving them salvation. It was was a prayer, and it was a blessing that one day, as they come, and they begin to come under the knowledge of Christ and begin to discern things that are going on in the world, that they would come unto the way of salvation, which is by Jesus Christ. That they would find their way to Jesus Christ. Listen, we can bring our children to Jesus all day long. We can bring them to VVS. We can bring them to Sunday school. But we cannot save them, moms and dads. But all we can do is bring them. And we must pray fervently and diligently that 
God would work on our behalf. God would minister to them and that God would save them through his son, Jesus Christ. And it may not be when we want it to be. I can remember them. They prayed for Jonah to get saved. They prayed for God to get saved. But what happened to Jonah? It happened, right? It happens in God's timing. But all we can do is be faithful to his call on our life and to bring them to the Lord. Amen. When bringing our children up here to be dedicated, it's not salvation. When you stand on this stage with Brother Steve and you're dedicating your child to the Lord, that's not salvation. You're saying, God, I will honor you. I will raise them up in your ways and instruct them in your ways, and I will live for you myself. That's what you're doing. Listen, and also, the, it, Jesus, if he wanted us to baptize infants, he would have taught it right here. But he says nothing about baptizing infants. Matter of fact, that's not even in the Bible. He's saying, I'm going to pray over them. I'm going to bless them that they may find their way to me one day. We as parents, especially as Christian parents, should desire our children to come to faith in Christ. Before an award, before a home run, before a touchdown, before trophies, before any of that stuff, we ought to desire that they receive and inherit the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you something. All that stuff is good, but it will not get them into the kingdom of heaven. It will not get them there. But Jesus Christ says he will. He'll allow us to pass from death unto life. He'll allow us to inherit the kingdom of God. Children are dependent and they're needy. Moms and dads, they are relying on you. We saw those babies in that video. Just about every one of them was doing what? Being held. They had to be held. They had to be nurtured. They had to be washed and changed and, and fed. And mom and dads, that's what we do. They are dependent on us. But you know that God has called us to do that spiritually to them? God has called us to feed them spiritually? That is our job as a parent. To provide physically and to provide spiritually. The Bible says that, men, if we don't provide for our home, that we're worse than an infidel. We're worse than an unbeliever. And I truly believe that provision is more than going out and earning a paycheck and bringing money home and putting it in the bank. I believe that that's spiritual provision too. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. But mom and dad, let me ask you this. How can we train them if we've not been trained ourselves? How can we impart something into our children that we don't have? That's why it's important, moms and dads, that we understand and come unto the knowledge of Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior so that we can give it to our children. That's what God has instituted the family. At the very beginning in Genesis, God created a family, husband and wife, and they will come together, they will reproduce, and they'll have children, and there you have the family before the church was ever there. But guess what? There was an attack on the family at the very beginning. The devil was after the family from the very beginning, and he's still after the family today. Every single day, the family, the home, is being under attack. The marriages and our children are being under attack by the God of this world, by the devil. And it's important, parents, that we stand and live by the Word of God. It's important that we instruct them and bring them into the ways of Jesus Christ. Number, number two, we see the discouragement of Jesus. In the latter part of verse 13, it says, and his disciples rebuked those that brought him, them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. 
listen, rebuke to keep them away. The disciples were literally keeping the children away, but Psalms 127.3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Literally, what that means is children are a gift of God. Children come from heaven. It doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how they get here. It doesn't matter how they get here. Hear me. It doesn't matter how they get here. They are a gift from God. And I'm telling you right now, it takes a husband and a wife to come together and to make a child, but there's a greater hand involved. And that hand is what brings that precious miracle into this world. They are a gift of God. We must understand that. The disciples were turning the parents away as if they already knew the heart of Jesus. Here they are. He's talking about marriage and he's talking about divorce. And all these parents were bringing their children. And they, guess that they just thought Jesus was like all the other Pharisees and the religious leaders. But they thought wrong, right, Brandon? Jesus was not a Pharisee. Matter of fact, he rebuked the Pharisees and the religious leaders and preached against them because they didn't care about the children. They were all about the law. They were all about tradition. They were all about all this other stuff. But here Jesus is doing this stuff. Here the children come with their parents. And the disciples says, whoa, stop. Don't come no further. Literally, they stopped them. They rebuked them. Jesus is displeased with this. He's so displeased because the disciples brought great discouragement. Here this rabbi, here this Messiah, here this Jesus is that all these people have been hearing about, and they have their children, and they've walked for miles and miles and miles, and now they found him, and now they're trying to bring him to him, and these guys just stand up, and they just stop us. We've got this close. I can see him right there. Stop. Can you imagine the discouragement? I've traveled. I've left everything to come see this Jesus that everybody's talking about. And I can't even get to him. See, Jesus was displeased because the disciples brought discouragement. If you read the Bible, God never brings discouragement. He brings encouragement. Only the God of this world, the devil, brings discouragement. You say, well, what about conviction? Let me explain that to you. When you realize that you're being convicted by God, it ought to bring encouragement to your life because it knows that a God that loves you. Just as a child discipline, or just as a parent disciplines their child. Why do they instruct their child and discipline their child? Because they love them. The Bible says that God chastened those who he loves. Amen. And so when we feel that conviction and we feel that we're doing wrong, we must know that God is moving in our life. God is speaking to us through his word and through his spirit. So he must love me because he wants to bring me back into the right path, into the family, into the fold of God. God brings encouragement, but not only was he discouraging those, he wasn't discouraging those to come just to hang out. He were, they, were, they were discouraging those who were coming to Jesus and also those who were bringing others to Christ. Jesus was displeased because the disciples rebuked them and stopped them. They thought these babies would be a hindrance to the work of Jesus. As in, Jesus doesn't have time for these children. See, they've been around these other religious leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees and all these other people. And I guess they just thought Jesus was the same. There's a quote, I don't know who quoted it, but it says, Children are not a distraction from the more important work. They are the most important work. They are the most important work in our life. I don't know, y'all know this, but some of y'all may already know this, but I guess you could tell I'm the children's pastor here. I love children. 
always have loved children. We see a lot of the world today rebuking the children and turning them away. The leading cause is abortion. 340,900 babies in the U.S. have been aborted this year. Roughly 3,000 a, a day. 16 million worldwide. But here's another one. Adoptions. 140,000 babies each year and children each year are left and abandoned. Now, I'm so thankful that God has called families into the ministry of adoption and foster care. And these people adopt these children and they bring these children into their home and they give them that godly instruction and guidance that they need for a time or maybe forever. So as they're dropped off and they're done away with, these families come along and they grab them up and they give them a chance at life. And they instruct them in the righteousness. Amy and, and, and Jay, Thomas, they, 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 they're house parents at, at, um, at um, Big Oak Ranch. Thank you, the Big Oak Ranch. Toy Ledlow, they do a lot of fostering. Brian and, and, and Ashley, they adopted. There's many, many in here that have adopted and fostered, and we're thankful for that. But those kids, listen, I talked to Jay, and he was going to do a video, but they're, they're out of town, and he couldn't get the video to me. But I talked to Jay, and he'll tell you this, too. There's many stories where people would drive up in Mercedes and Lexuses and all these other vehicles, and they would just get their kids out of the car with a suitcase and say, see you later. And they would never come back to get them because they just, they just wasn't, they didn't have enough time for them. Or they just didn't want them no more. That's called rebuking the children, neglecting the children. But thank God there's a godly home like the Big Oak Ranch. They can go in and live and have a life and go to college and do things that children ought to get to do and not have to worry about what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, where am I going to lay my head. Our children should never have to worry about that. But even homes that look normal do this. Even homes that look normal to you and I neglect their children. They're sold out to work or they're sold out to the ministry or other things of the world. And their children all the while get neglected. I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of being so focused on ministry that my children get neglected. I've been guilty of being so focused on work or things around the house that my children get neglected. But see, I've got to understand, I'm not guaranteed a congregation to speak to. I'm not guaranteed children back there or school bus to drive full of children. But I have two children in my home. And I have a loving wife in my home that I am called to minister to them before anybody else. That is my number one ministry. Before I go anywhere else, I'm to minister to my wife and to my children. You've heard this before. What is it? Profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. But what if I told you this? What is the profit of man to gain the whole world? To lose his own family. Men of God, we've been called to instruct our home in the way of righteousness and the way of the Lord. We've been called the pastor, the high priest of our home. And we must remember that. Ladies, you've been called to instruct and lead your children. We must not forget that the family is the first and foremost. That's why I'm so glad that our pastor got away with his wife and his children on a vacation. The church is important. This is the bride of Christ. But before he's a pastor to you and I, he's a pastor to his wife and to his two children. 
Somehow that's been lost. God help us. God help me to never forget about that and to always remember that. Children had their whole life ahead of them. But what if they don't? What if they don't? I just told you about a lady that's about to bury her second child. We had another lady in this church years ago had to bury her 16-year-old son. What if they don't have their whole life ahead of them? We think that it is that our parents are going to, our children are going to bury us and, and send us on to heaven when we're old and gray and it's time for us to go home, we think, well, that's, they're going to bury us. But what if that's not how it happens? What if, what, if they, what if we have to bury our children? What have we done to help them and instruct them and prepare them for the kingdom of God? What if death comes before we expect it? We invest so much time into them and even money. We spend hours and hours and hours with them at the ballpark, but none of that will save them. I'm not preaching against that stuff, but I'm telling you that that stuff is not going to save your child. How much of Jesus have you invested in them? How much of the Word of God have you sowed into them? How much have you loved them with the arms and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the only one that can save your child. Amen. There's nothing wrong with playing baseball and sports and all that other stuff and fishing. Those are great memories. But if your child dies without Jesus, that's all you're going to have. You won't have the hope and the security and the promise knowing that you'll get to see them again someday. I know this is a convicting message. God convicted me with this stuff before I preached it. And sometimes these things are difficult, but sometimes we need a wake-up call. Maybe this was just for me. We must turn our focus on these children in our home, in our church, and in our community. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, But whosoever shall offend one of these little children, which believe in me, if it were better for him that a milestone were hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That word offend, you know what that means? To entice to sin, drinking, cussing, cheating, lying doing all these ungodly things. We are not to entice our children into sin. The Bible says if you do that, it's better that a milestone be tied around your neck and you dropped out in the sea and drowned. I don't think we need to really break that scripture down. I think it's pretty clear that we shouldn't lead our children into temptation. We shouldn't lead our children into more ungodliness. Amen. Listen, you, you can develop habits in your children. Some of them are ungodly and worldly habits, but you know what else you can do? You can develop godly habits. You can develop spiritual habits. Your children can come in there in the morning and see you reading the Bible. Amen. Your children can see you praying uh, with your wife or with your family. Your children can see you doing a lot of things, witnessing and, and sharing the love of Christ with people. Your children can see that, and they too know, you know what? I'm going to do what my mom and daddy did because they love Jesus and they believed in his word. They live what they preached. Amen. They live what they preach. That's, that's, that's what the most important thing for us as parents and grandparents is to live what we preach. My, parents, my, my children see the good and the bad. They see me on my bad days. Some of you don't. They see when things are good. They see when things are bad. But my children see the, the, the authentic man. My children see that me making a mistake need to get it right before the Lord. They see me coming to the Lord with forgiveness and through prayer. They see me doing all these things to try to make it right. 
because I want to be real and I want to be true to my kids and I want to show them that, yes, there's mistakes. Yeah, we will falter. Yeah, we will fall, but we have a God that said He'll never leave us nor never forsake us. Amen. His grace is stowed upon us. Where there may be sin, grace abounds ever much more. The Bible says that He will do exceedingly abundantly what you may ask or above what you may ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Amen. That's something our children ought to know. Jesus they find ought to be the Jesus that's in mom and daddy. It's true. But you know, in some circumstances, sometimes, sometimes the Jesus mom and daddy find is the Jesus that's in that little baby. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. A child gets saved. A child get involved with church and mom and daddy. They see something and they get involved. It works both ways. Listen, we must not entice our kids to, to sin and bring them further away from God. Parents, we should not be a stumbling block to your children. Jesus shows us here in this text just how important the children are and how valuable they are. Which brings us to number three, the encouragement of Jesus. It says, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you... Uh, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus made it very clear right here that we're not to rebuke the children. Jesus didn't like what the disciples were doing, and I promise you, he definitely does not like and isn't pleased with what's happening to children in this world today. He's not. Jesus said, forbid them not, let them come unto me. So, go back to our story here. Jesus is teaching the disciples and some of the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, these parents are coming with their children. And the disciples rebuke them. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Suffer them not. You let them come unto me. You let them children come unto me. You know what he said? Because such is the kingdom of heaven. Such is the kingdom of God. Who was he talking about? The children. Out of all the people in the Bible he could have used, he used the children to say, such is the kingdom of God. All these babies belong to him. He has them in his hands. Listen, all babies, until they reach a time they are accountable to God, they are under divine care. They are not saved. They are safe. They are not innocent. They are not sinless. They are safe with Jesus Christ in his hands. We must understand that. David says, I cannot go to that baby. But that baby, listen, no. David said, he cannot come to me. Talking about the baby that died from the sin. He said, he cannot come to me, but I can go to where he's at. Because they're safe in the hands of Jesus. And until that happens, they call it the age of accountability. Eventually, at some point in their time, they're going to be held accountable for what they know. But until that point in time comes, people say, well, what is that age? What's well, different for every single child? I've seen kids at three-year-old completely understand the gospel. And I've seen kids until five-year-old completely understand the gospel. And when a child comes to me, listen to me, church. When a child comes to me and says, I want to receive Jesus. I want, to be, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. You know what I do? I ask them a few simple questions, and then we were afraid to receive Christ. It's never my job. It's never my job to look at them and say, you're not ready. Who am I to say that you're not ready? Who am I to say that you don't understand what you're talking about? Would it not be better for them to pray and, and, and say a prayer and receive Christ? And later on in life, figure out that they really didn't have it and get it? Or just totally rebuke them and tell them, you're not ready? So when a child comes to me, I was like, let's pray. And man, I'm telling you, such is the kingdom of heaven. 
Such is the kingdom of heaven. These kids have a place in his kingdom. This does not make them non-sinners. This does not make them innocent. It is just a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty over these children. I'm so thankful that we have a God that will look upon those little babies that we saw in the video and say, they belong to me. God, if something happened, God forbid, if something happened to them, they're going to be with me. Every child that's been aborted in America from the very beginning, even back into the Old Testament when they placed them babies in the hand of God, in the God of Molech, and they were burned alive. Those children are with Jesus now. Parents, there will be a time they are held accountable for what they know. And what have you done to help them with this? But let me remind you, Mom and Dad, you'll also be held accountable for what you do and what you sow into their lives. You will give an account. You will give an answer for what you did with those children in your home and how you lived your life around them. Then Jesus moves to using the children as an example. He says, Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. We must come to God the way that children do. Children are weak, they're humble, they're dependent, and they're helpless. When you think about a child running up to their father with their arms open up, what do they want them to do? They want them to pick them up and to hold them because what we protect them, we comfort them. But listen, they trust us. They trust us knowing that when they come to mommy and when they come to daddy that we're going to pick them up. We're going to love on them and we're going to embrace them. And they trust us and they love us and they want to be with us because they're weak and they're, and they're humble and they're helpless and they are depending on us. It's the same way, people, when we come to Christ. Listen, we ought to come to Christ with our arms up saying, Abba, Father. Because He has grafted us into that olive tree. He has made us sons and daughters. He has brought us into the family of God. He is our heavenly Father. We say, Abba, Father. So He can grab us and hold us and comfort us and embrace us. Children are ready to love and ready to trust. We must learn something from these children. Listen, I oftentimes, sometimes sit in the back and I, I teach children and some of these other people that are on the children's ministry team, they teach children, but sometimes I'm back there teaching and I'm thinking, these kids are not listening to a word I say. They have no idea what I'm saying. They're not listening to me. We get done. And I ask them questions, and I'm in, they're just spitting off these answers. I'm like, wow, y'all were listening. Y'all did hear what I said. You might have been upside down in your chair but you were listening to what I was saying. We can learn something from children, amen? We can. We can learn something from children. Listen, what's so great about children and what's so different from children and adults, adults, their minds like concrete. Listen, have you ever jackhammered concrete? I have. It's hard. It's a hard job to bust up those layers of concrete. It's set. It's formed. It's, it's, it's molded into the shape that you want it to be, and you've got a hammer in it. But you know, a child's mind's like that concrete. It ain't settled yet. It's still a little bit like jello. Then you could take that trial and you can form it to any form that you wanted to. You could put a finish on it. You could put a brush on it. You can make trails. You can make expansion joints. You can do all that stuff. Why? Because that concrete hadn't settled yet. You know what you're doing with a child when you're back there giving them Jesus? You're molding that mind. You're shaping that mind into the image of Christ. You're doing everything you can that they would receive Christ one day as their Lord and Savior. That when they leave home and they go to college and they go out into the world, that they would remember the foundations of God that you have poured and sowed and instilled their 
their life through the Word of God because you gave them the Gospel. You gave them the Word of God. You gave them the Ten Commandments. You told them about the tabernacle. You told them about the fruit of the Spirit. And they remember those things because their minds are not made up yet. Because when children are between 4 and about 12 years old, they're making their minds up about church, about family, about the world, about sports, and about school. And when they get older, they have their minds set on those things. So it's very important we get involved in a children's life, be it our own or someone else's children, and we begin to instill in them the children are the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, I stood up on my bus about the second to last week of school. I stood up on my bus. I have to wait 10 minutes when I get to school every morning before the school opens up. God was just been on me for a few days, and finally I pulled that brake, and I stood up, and I said, hey, everybody be quiet. They said, uh-oh, as they normally do. I said, let me tell you all something. I said, there's a man named Jesus. I said, he loves you more than anything you'd ever imagine. Any of y'all ever heard of Jesus? Yeah, we, we have, we have. Some of you may not have heard of Jesus. I said, but let me tell you about Jesus. Because some of those kids may not get to come to church on Sunday. Some of those kids may not get to come to VBS. Some of those kids may not have the luxury of going here and going there. So when I'm involved in these children's life, why not instill the gospel? You say, well, you can't do that. Well, I did it. If they fire me, they fire me. We ought to, whether it be our children, the neighborhood children, the community children, the ball team's children, children in Walmart, don't matter who they are, who, what, what color their skin is or who they belong to, who cares? Show them the love of Christ. Instill the gospel into their life. Love them and hold them and embrace them because they may not be getting it at home. Amen. We must come to God the way the children do. We must come simple, open, trusting, humble, dependent, and helpless to God. If we don't come like this, we will never inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5 says this, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be, here it is, converted and become as a little children, you shall not enter in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever receive uh, one such little child in my name, receiveth me. Out of all the faiths in the Bible, Jesus chose to use the faith of a child. The faith of a child. And I'm telling you right now, I guess you can tell by now I love children. I drive a school bus with 67 of them, precious souls. They love them to death. Love them to death. Back here on Wednesday night, back here on Sunday, my own children, your children, ball field, high school football team, wherever. I love kids. I love kids. I want them to know Jesus. That's my greatest desire in my life is that kids would come to know Jesus Christ. Because there's some kids I can have access to. I don't have access to mom and dad. You ever thought about that? Kids are precious. They're a gift from God. Now we see why Jesus was displeased, displeased with the disciples for rebuking the children. The children had what they needed. Listen to what John Calvin wrote. This this passage gives kingdom citizenship to both children and those who are like children. Ain't that good? Out of all the people in the Bible, God chose to use children. We must become like a little child, faith-wise, to receive and inherit the kingdom of God. My friends, we must be like those little children. Notice I've never said they was innocent. Those children are not innocent. Those newborn babies are not innocent. They're not sinless. 
I'm telling you, every person that it comes through and is born into this world is born in the condemnation of sin. Everybody. There's only one man, my friends, that's been born into this world that was sinless and perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. And because of him, because of him, we can now be brought out of that curse and out of that law and brought into life and brought into grace. They're not innocent, but they're humble and helpless. And they're in need of a Savior, just as we are. And number four, we see the acceptance of Jesus. And he took them in his arms and he put them in his hands. And he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. The parents came to have their children blessed, and that's what he did. The disciples rebuked him, but he rebuked the disciples. And he made it known real clear that I'm very displeased with you guys. This is not how this thing works. You let those children come unto me. Now, can you imagine the disciples sitting around asking? I don't know if y'all have ever watched The Chosen, but you get a kind of a, a real-life picture of the disciples just constantly just hammering Jesus with these questions. And Jesus says, well, if y'all going to keep asking me the question, this is going to be a very annoying trip. You know, well, y'all are supposed to laugh at that. That was, that was a funny <laughs> part. That was a funny part of the video. But, but they're just constantly asking them questions. Jesus would preach to the multitudes. These people, now a lot of people were coming to get fed, and a lot of people were get, coming to get fed spiritually. But he would preach in the multitudes, and they'd walk off, and the disciples said, Jesus, what, what exactly did you mean by that? What were you talking about that? What, 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 what is that, you know, and God thankfully gives us the parables to help people like me understand what Jesus is talking about too. You know, I'd have been like the disciples, well, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to bring that down to my level, brother. But, He took them in their arms. He took them in his arms and he blessed them. He, 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 in my mind, and I always try to picture what this looks like. Now, we got videos on YouTube and movies and stuff, but in my mind, I just think of Jesus sitting there and these children and these parents coming up and the disciples going out there and kind of stopping them and saying, no, 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 Jesus, don't have time, don't have time. He's like, no, 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 you let them come to me. He began to put his hands on them and pray and bless them. And those parents saw what they came to see. You know what happens if we bring our children to Jesus? You know what happens if we bring our children to Jesus? If we continuously bring our children to Jesus, and we continuously pray, through God's mighty hand, we'll see God work on our children. We'll see God work on our children in a way that me and you could never, ever, ever have thought about doing it. We'll see them transform them into someone that you never thought they would be. Their identity, their true identity is not in your last name, Dad. Their true identity is not how fast they can swing a baseball bat or do a back handspring. Their true identity is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus Christ wants everybody to be in the ministry of the Lord. Everybody. Every culture, every color of skin, every denomination, every belief, everybody that is out in the world. People who don't look like us, people who don't smell like us, people that we thought we would never cross paths with. He wants them to be in the ministry of the Lord too. Because the Bible says that all nations, all tribes, and all tongues are gathered around the throne in heaven, worshiping and singing, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy was the Lamb who was slain. God help us if we don't share Christ with those people. He says, such is the kingdom of heaven. Such is the kingdom of heaven. Can you believe what the disciples were thinking about? Wow. Think about it. Wow. We didn't want them to come up here, but Jesus just used those as an illustration and said, if we don't come to him like these children, we'll never make it into heaven. We'll never make it into heaven. 
This wasn't a salvation. This was a blessing. This was a prayer that one day they would find their way to salvation. Many of you stood on this very stage and you dedicated your child. I did. Some of you dedicated your child to Jesus and to the Lord. But this is some of the questions, and then we're going to close. These are some of the questions that they ask and they, and, and during the dedication. Do you recognize these children as gifts of God? Give heartfelt thanks to God's blessings. Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they would belong wholly to God? Do you pledge as a parent that with God's fatherly help, you will bring up your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love to build the word of God and the character of Christ and the joy of the Lord into their lives? Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own Heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, strength to serve them and to not use them? And lastly, do you promise God helping you to make, your, make it your regular, pra regular prayer by God's grace, your children will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the fulfillment of all of his promises to them, even eternal life. And in this faith, follow Jesus as Lord and obey his teachings. Can we remember those questions? Are we doing what we are called to do as parents? What more could you want for your children than to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I'm telling you, there's no greater gift that's ever been given. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave His only Son. I don't know if you noticed in the last part of that video, that was Mary and Joseph holding baby Jesus. I'm so thankful that God gave His only Son as a ransom, as a sacrifice, and as a payment for my sin. I'm so thankful that someone along the way saw someone in need of the hope and the message of Christ, and they shared it with me. And I came to the knowledge of Christ and was saved and called to preach, gave my life to the Lord. My wife saved. My children are saved. People in my family have been saved. Why? Because someone shared the message of Christ with me. I didn't do it. God did it. God can do the same thing in your life. Maybe your child has left the home and is wayward and gone away from the Lord. Mama, Daddy, don't you dare. Don't you dare give up praying for them. My mama spent many nights on her knees praying for me, knowing I would go out and get drunk. I would put things in my body that were worldly and ungodly. But she stayed on her knees praying, said, God, would you save him? God, would you be with him? And I came home. God continuously to show me grace, knowing I'll do it again the next day. Then I had a wife that would sit in the other room and read the Bible while I sat in that room and drank alcohol, saying, God, would you save my husband? God, would you save my husband? Their children need a father. Man, I don't know if you know this, but God can do wonderful things in our life. I've seen it with my own eyes. And we ought to desire that in our life, in our family's life, in our friend's life. <laughs> Listen, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. Parents, what are we doing to help our children spiritually? Parents, our children need us, but more importantly, they need Jesus. Jesus can do for our children what nobody else can do. Helping your children come to the saving faith in Christ requires leading by an example and instructing them to God's 
instructing them in God's truth. And in order for your children to put their faith in Jesus, um, they need to understand several basic truths. And here's number one. Who is God? Who is God? Who is God? It's our supreme creator and heavenly father. Listen, in school, in college, and in the world, they're hearing about a God. But it's a little g God. It's a pagan. It's a false God. And if we don't teach them who the capital G God is, the supreme ultimate authority, they're going to fall in love with these little G gods and they're going to be led astray and led down a path of destruction. We must teach them who our God is. Number two, what is truth? Everybody wants truth today. Everybody wants truth. But the only absolute truth is this right here. The word of God. Where do we teach our children about marriage? Where do we teach our children about life? What about walking in, 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 in the ways of the Lord? Where do we teach our children? Right here in the Word of God. The written Word of God. It's an instruction to life, and our children must know that this is truth. And they must know that we believe in every word that is written in this Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction unto righteousness. You want your children to be righteous and holy and blameless? Right here. Mom and dad, the Bible says that we must be a living sacrifice too. We must be holy and acceptable before God. We must be in this too. The next question is, who is man? Man is sinful, man is vile, and man is in need of a Savior. We can never do it on our own. We can never make it into heaven. We can't earn our way. We can't pay our way. We cannot work our way. It's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we can enter into heaven, and our children need to know that. And lastly, who is Jesus our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Lord. Let your children know who Jesus is. Listen, in the third book of John, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear my, that my children walk in truth. Listen to me, family. Listen to me, friends. There ought to be no greater joy in your life knowing that your children come to the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. You don't talk about a celebration party. When one of these children give their life to Christ in the back, I want to do shout and run and whatever. I can't. I'd try. But I'm telling you, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Listen, I'm going to close this in prayer, and he's going to start the invitation time. And I offered this up to the first uh, service. But I want to encourage you, moms, dads, grandparents, that you'd come up to this altar, that you would pray for your children. I don't care if they're infants. I don't care if they're in college. I don't care if they're married. You pray for your children. You pray for your home. God's been, uh, the devil's been after the uh, family since the very beginning. Marriages and children. We need more of Jesus today than we ever have. Come up here and pray for your family. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your message. God, we thank you for your grace.